It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Thursday, November the 7th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we turn our attention to the Indianapolis Colts as we welcome in the host of the Locked On Colts podcast here on Crossover Thursday. Plus, once we hang up with him, I'll do the regular Locked On Dolphins preview, and we'll finish up with some thoughts on acquiring quarterbacks and Stephen Ross's decision to veer from the comfortable. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Top 200 on Apple Podcasts, top 100 on Stitcher. Go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And of course, lockedondolphins.com. We have written content for you guys up there every single day. I feel like I've been talking about Adam Gase way too much this year, but here we go again anyway, and the reason I bring him back up to lead off the show today is a tweet from Pat Thorman, and he says the Jets spent a league-high $230 million in free agency this offseason, and that by a wide margin was the highest mark. I couldn't find the second highest, but I'm not sure what it is. I'm sure it's under $200 million in total cash spent on guys like Le'Veon Bell, CJ Mosley. And that was without the Anthony Barr signing, which obviously did not go through, but it was close to. So if Gase were to come back to Miami, yeah, we'd still have Laramie Tunzel and Kenny Stills and probably Minka Fitzpatrick, but we wouldn't have Chad O'Shea. We wouldn't have Brian Flores' defense, and we wouldn't have any cash next year or any picks to fix the quarterback issue. We'd probably wind up picking ninth or 10th in the draft again. So major kudos to Steven Ross, who, yes, he made the first mistake of hiring Adam Gase, but he was the hot coordinator name, and everybody wanted Adam Gase at that time. Hindsight is 2020, but kudos to Ross for doing the uncomfortable here. It's not easy to change, especially at his age, and he did it and took on a new direction, an entirely new direction that, at the very least, got this team off that wheel of mediocrity that every single Dolphins fan to a man, and you guys have told me this on Twitter, despised that wheel of mediocrity. Seven, eight, nine wins a year. It's no fun. It was horrible. And let's now, after that, pivot to our guest from Locked On Colts. And joining the podcast now for Crossover Thursday, we had some scheduling conflicts yesterday, but we're back now. He is Evan, the host of the Locked On Colts podcast. Evan, what's up, man? 
Nothing much, Travis. How about you? I'm going pretty good over here, just uh, coming off that first victory on Sunday, and we talked about this on your show. I don't know if that's what we wanted here as Dolphins fans, but let's go ahead and get into this game on Sunday against the Colts. It's in the late kickoff window at 4.05 Eastern, and I want to start here with your coaching staff because, to me, it's one of the most impressive in the NFL right now with Frank Reich, and despite Miami's record, Dolphins fans are mostly pleased with the job that Brian Flores has done here in year one, given the circumstances, that is, but I'd point to Indianapolis as one of the best coaching situations in the NFL not just Frank Reich, but Matt Eberflus as well. They consistently have good plans. And how, in your estimation, Evan, were they able to turn this or- this organization around so much to what basically was a Andrew Luck injury away from being a bottom feeder team every single year to now this team that's consistently good and has talent all over the roster? I think a lot of that has to do with Frank Reich, of course, and the way he can scheme guys and get them going as far as you see now what Jacob said and the way he was playing before his injury just a very efficient style of football, the way he's passing the football. And this overall offensive scheme that Frank Reich put together is pretty impressive. But I think a lot of that credit goes to Chris Bauer as far as the way the roster's come together the last three years. He's done a sudden turnaround here with the roster where you have guys like Deion Kane, who was a star at Clemson. We have Quincy Wilson, former second-round pick, Tyquan Lewis, a second-round pick last year. The, the, the roster is so talented from top to bottom now as far as the spots from like 53 to, to 35 that – there's tough decisions now on game day that have to do for just DNPs. And that's very rare for Colts rosters because we saw in the Ryan Grigson era that it was a lot of just bottom feeding rosters, a lot of just desperate free agent signings that didn't work out. Chris Bowers worked through the draft and getting a, a marriage between Chris Bowers and a, a very smart analytics for coach like Frank Reich has been a perfect blend for this Colts team. I think it's a very long-term plan. If you're looking ahead from the Miami point of view, if you can get a, a coach like that with a great GM, if Miami does have that, they could be on that path. I think that's a great point you make there about the bottom of the roster because it's the plan this year in Miami has basically been to develop the bottom part of the roster and create a culture that's based on hunger and guys that have a will to succeed and teamwork and all that stuff that sounds cliche, but it winds up going a long way in the way your locker room is made up and how those guys compete every day. And I think another good parallel involves the quarterback position because this Dolphins team will be in on the quarterback position very heavily this offseason and let's talk about your quarterback in Jacoby Brissett he's forced into this prominent role with a team that he thought he was going to serve as a backup for and it leads to this extension right away and some pretty good football so a few questions for you here Evan do you believe that Jacoby Brissett is the long-term solution is he going to play on Sunday and if not what does Brian Hoyer bring to the table in this offense for the first part of your question there, it's still, I think the jury's still out. I don't know where to lean right now as far as I guess. I had to guess right now. I would say no. I, I know that might surprise some Colts fans out there, but I believe that Brissett, the way he plays, the, the way he plays play for this team, he's been missing a lot of deep shots, being very conserved. I think they need a quarterback to really open up Frank Reich's offense to the point where they can win shootout games. I don't know if the Colts have really shown that much this year outside of the Houston game, of course, but I think Brissett – is kind of a one-read quarterback at the moment. I know he's getting better at that, but he's going to be 27 in December. I, maybe Chris Ballard. I know he's high on some 2020 draft quarterbacks. I think they could be on the draft market, maybe so, like trading back in the round one or maybe use that Redskins pick on a quarterback. I think it makes a lot of sense for this team to maybe go the Kansas City route as far as maybe you get, you get your Patrick Mahomes, but you have like a bridge quarterback for a year or two and you're Alex Smith, and that could be what Jacoby Brissett is. I think that's what the long-term plan might be. But if Brissett does a good second half of the season, I think he definitely could be the quarterback there. And to answer the second part of your question, I believe that Brissett's practicing today in a limited 
capacity, but I really believe it's just a cat, cat and mouse game by the Colts here. I think it's just the, the really safe play to, to start Brian Hoyer. He did really well against Pittsburgh outside of that one pick six to make a Fitzpatrick, which cost them the game on Sunday. But I think he did Brian Hoyer, one of the best back quarterbacks in the NFL, a week of preparation, give Brissett an extra week of rest here for very two very important games in the Jaguars at home and then at Houston on a short week. I believe that's probably the smart way to go about this thing because we saw Brissett press today. And his knee brace, he usually always wears knee brace, Charles, but today it was, it went off pretty much almost a foot down his leg. So I, I'd be very surprised if he plays on Sunday. Yeah, it's pretty interesting to me that they have two former Patriot quarterbacks there because this Dolphins team is kind of doing a Patriots a Patriots model, so to speak, in their own backyard as well. So two kind of clashing mentalities and clashing mindsets between these two teams. I also find it interesting that the Colts are only 10.5 point favorites because to me, this is probably the best team that Miami has played in the last month and a half or so. And we've had 17 and 20 point spreads in that time. And now this spread is only 10.5 points. So interesting dynamic there. Although ESPN's FPI does give the Colts a 90% chance to win. And with that in mind, if you're the type of fan that knows football Ball so well that you could use, that you could choose any game and call it. My bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, NBA, and the start of college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get into the action with my bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win than they do. And if you join right now, mybookie is going to match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just use promo code locked on to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code locked on to take advantage of mybookie's generous sign up offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we started on the offensive side of the football in the last segment there, Evan, but I want to go back here to the O-line and talk about Quentin Nelson, who for my money is the Colts' best player. He's part of a remade offensive line that you kind of mentioned in the earlier segment that went from annually one of the league's worst to perhaps the best in the NFL. And I'm curious to ask you here, how were those moves received from Colts fans? Quentin Nelson in the top 10, I think it was pick number six, Braden Smith in round two. How did Colts fans feel about going so heavy on the trenches in the draft? Oh, I think they were standing in applause yeah. because I, we saw what happened the first four periods of Andrew Luck's career, which unfortunately ended what I believe was going to be the best Colts team in a long time if Andrew Luck was quarterback this year. But he unfortunately, as we all know, retired in August. But when you saw what happened under the former GM Ryan Grigson, the way he just mishandled the offensive line, you saw the guys like Samson Satelli, Mike McGlynn, Justice Winston, like these types of guys that shouldn't be NFL starting caliber offensive linemen. They were for multiple years for the Colts, and they consistently allowed Andrew Luck to get really just battered on game days. And when, when we see Quentin Nelson, who living in Indiana, we see a lot of Notre Dame football, and 
the way he was able to dominate a Notre Dame, I think we were all very excited about the possibility of him being a Cole and it happened. They traded back and still got him from three to six. And I think that was a very smart move by Chris Bauer because he's still got Brain Smith in round two. We, we all thought it was going to be the other guard, but he turned out to be the right tackle of this team. But yeah, the way the offensive line was remade and the way Chris Bauer really emphasized the trenches on this team and specifically the offensive line, I think it just goes to show you how important that position is. Do you think Glowinski makes it to free agency? And if he does, is he worth a big time paycheck? He actually got re-signed this time last year. He's on a three-year deal. Oh. This, this, this is the first of his three-year deal. I saw a tweet the other day that said he was one of the top free agents available, so maybe I'm just I'm seeing the wrong things. But let's go ahead and move on from that then and talk about the other side of the football here. And Darius Leonard, I, I honestly haven't watched a lot of the Colts this year, but from what I've heard, he maybe has stepped back a little bit. And why wouldn't he from an all-pro rookie season? So if it's not Darius Leonard anymore, and maybe it is, you can tell me otherwise, who has kind of taken the focal point or the spot as the focal point on this defense yeah I think Darius Leonard's had a really good bounce back the last couple of weeks I know he had a, a bad week in Pittsburgh so to say with only a couple, like eight tackles but he had a couple of really bad penalties but the week before that against Houston he was huge and then I, I think outside that you see a guy get more footing because he's been missing the past three weeks with a concussion before that so we'll just have to see how he bounces back and just gets his rhythm back but I think the best defensive player for the Colts so far this year and really the last four weeks has been Justin Houston he has six sacks in his last five games he's been really dominant in every single game so far. And that's where I think if we're talking about the winning the trenches on Sunday against this Dolphins team, I think Justin Houston could have a really monster game. And I would be very surprised if that did not happen for you guys on Sunday. Speaking of that defense and Matt Eberflus, has this been more of an aggressive type of defense? Are they going to send pressure? Do they play more man or zone? Just kind of give us an idea of what Eberflus does with his scheme on Sundays. He's very zone heavy. It's usually about 65-35. This time last year, though, it was around 75-25. He's really mixing in more man because they have the corners to do it now. They have Pierre Desir, of course, from last year, but they drafted Rocky seen from Temple, who's a more man-based corner. You also had Marvell Telly, former safety at USC, very aggressive safety, who has transitioned over to cornerback and now is a starter for them as well. So they're really inexperienced on the corner position, but very aggressive with the way they play man, man sometimes. But you do see zone a lot when they're playing really good quarterbacks. I will wouldn't be surprised, though, if they play a lot of man on Sunday and just send a lot of pressure against this Dolphins team because I think they're trying to make a statement on Sunday when this defense really has been inconsistent here and there. They really picked up the last couple of weeks, though. So we're, I think this is a kind of a Sunday statement, so to say, because I think this, the Colts have won every game or been in every game by seven points or less throughout the entire season so far. I think they want to end that trail on Sunday. Yeah, if the Dolphins can do that and get within one score, I think it'd be a big win for this team going into a game where the reason I think this team is has been competitive lately, Evan, is because they just have outcoached the last four teams they've played. And the Jets and Washington, you know, those two coaching staffs are eh, not the greatest. I think Pittsburgh is, you know, Mike Tomlin, you can say what you like about him, but their defensive coordinator is, you know, that's that's a comment that I've, I've made plenty of derogatory comments toward his defense on plenty of occasions. And then Sean McDermott in Buffalo. But I talked about it early on. I think that Frank Reich and this Colts coaching staff, I just, I think the world of them. So I do think the Colts will be okay on Sunday. And with that, I want to know what your score prediction for this game is on Sunday and also your record for the Colts the rest of the way and finishing up 2019. Okay, yeah. As far as this game goes on Sunday, you might be surprised, Travis, and maybe luck on Dolphins. I'm, I'm keeping this one close here. I'm going to go 24 to 10 Colts win. I think this is one where Brian Hoyer's probably going to be the quarterback. I would be surprised if it's Jacoby Brissett. And even if it is Jacoby Brissett, I think this Dolphins team, after this time last week, they're probably going to be hungry and motivated to keep this one close to the Colts. And the Colts, for some reason this year, seem to play down their competition almost every time. I hope I'm wrong about that, but I see. 24-10 and the Colts pull away in the fourth quarter there. And I think overall for my record prediction, I'm going to go 11-5 and 
and the Colts won the AFC South because they had the tiebreaker reduced. Yeah, I think we would certainly appreciate that as Dolphins fans if you guys kept the Texans out of the playoffs and kept Miami's third first round pick in this year's draft in the top 20 or maybe 21 or somewhere in that range. So anyway, he is Evan Sidery of the Lockdown Colts podcast. Evan, I appreciate it so much and best of luck to you on Sunday, sir. And we will get into the work I did on the Colts and Dolphins game on Sunday for the preview piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com in just one moment here. But I wanted to go back onto a tweet topic that basically consumed my timeline throughout the entire day on Wednesday and going back earlier in the week as well as I continue to kind of look for options beyond Tua Tungavailoa if that cannot happen in this year's draft class. And I was so adamant about the Tua idea before Miami was able to secure that first victory, but now that they have it and they are going to rely on other teams to lose games, I think it's important to start thinking about contingency plans. And some of you will say, I probably should have been doing that beforehand. Maybe you're right, but here we are. And that's why I'm talking about Gardner Minshew or Cam Newton or just other options across the league. And in the draft, the Dolphins are going to have to explore because these are the things the front office and everybody involved in decision-making will have to do once the season ends in January. And the Gardner Minshew idea was met with so much backlash, and I really, quite honestly, can't fathom where that came from. One, because he's a hell of a football player, and I put two videos out showing six plays, all of them six of his touchdowns, which you might say is a bit of a disingenuous study in his game because I didn't look at the fumbles and picks that he's had. But going back to the touchdowns, I think each one of those showcases a different ability within his skill set that you just don't find in guys that are not franchise quarterbacks. To me, he is a franchise quarterback because of the intangible things that he can do for you. If the play call fails, he can go off script and make magic inside or outside the pocket, breaking tackles, staying up on his feet, attacking the line of scrimmage, and making plays on third down once the play call has been defeated, and he extends and makes the play caller look smart. That's an invaluable quarterback trait that you see pretty much inherent across all the great quarterbacks in this league, even Tom Brady, who doesn't have the fleet of foot mindset of a Russell Wilson or a Patrick Mahomes or even a Gardner Minshew, but he can move around within the pocket and create space and extend plays by getting to open areas of the pocket and creating big plays down the field that way. Minshew has that trait. He also has the trait with timing, anticipation, and accuracy within the structure of the offense, winning from the pocket. And I showed some examples of that on the Twitter thread as well. And of course, this does go back to his time at Washington State University, go Cougs, where that's a big part of the evaluation as well. And I'm always going to include a player's college tape and stats and what they were coming out of college as part of the evaluation, especially when they only have eight games played, just like Josh Rosen last year had 13 games played. So we had to go back to the UCLA tape to get an idea of what he could and could not do in college, the progression into year number one, and where you can project him into year number two. And so for Minshew, in eight games of his career, right now currently on track for right around 25 touchdown passes, if you prorate it for 16 games, eight picks, over 4,000 passing yards, over 400 rushing yards, and not to mention two game-winning drives in the fourth quarter. He has the it factor. He had it at Washington State. He's shown it in Jacksonville. He can galvanize a locker room, and when I talk so much about this young, hungry Dolphins roster, which in essence 
is an extended preseason of sorts, and the Dolphins are finding all these young guys that can contribute to the roster long-term, guys like John Jenkins and Vince Beagle and Nick Needham and Jamal Wiltz, and even to a lesser extent because I think he was more well-known before the season, but Preston Williams, all these guys that are coming together and creating a strong structure at the bottom of the roster, guys 35 through 53, which give you that flexibility and that impervious nature against injuries and derailing your season if you take on a couple of key injuries. Well, that's what the Colts have done, for instance, on their roster, made it stronger on the bottom half, like we heard earlier in this podcast from Evan. I think Minshew fits right in line with the idea of that type of player, of that type of leadership, and of his character. He's smart, he's tough, he's disciplined, he loves to work, he's a basically came up the most difficult route you possibly could imagine to get to this point. I just think he embodies everything this coaching staff would want at the position. And while he does come up short on some of the physical traits, like the arm strength, for instance, he makes up for it in a variety of ways, like I mentioned, going off script and his timing and anticipation throws are fantastic. Again, take it from me, someone that watches every Washington State game, that dude was nothing short of brilliant all year long with accuracy and anticipation throws. And that's why Mike Leach basically said all the NFL scouts that called him and asked him questions about Gardner Minshew and questioned his ability, he basically just called them dumb and said, what are you looking at? This guy has it all. And he proved that by being a sixth round draft pick who's been the best rookie quarterback in the NFL this year, neck and neck with Kyler Murray. The big thing he has to clean up are the fumbles. But all of this is to say that he is a backup plan to Tua. I want to make that a 100% clear. I feel like I do it every single day, but he's the backup plan for me. I'm going to call Jacksonville if I can't get the first pick in the draft and say, what is it going to take for me to get Gardner Minshew? Because that probably won't be a first round pick. It might be a second round pick, and I doubt it's going to be lower than that. But if it is, I would give him that pick. And then you're still in position in 2021, if he doesn't work out, to go after a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields, or maybe Jordan Love goes back to school and improves. And that quarterback class in 2021 already in my opinion, is better than this class beyond Tua because as you guys know, I don't fully believe in anybody else as a solidified, guaranteed, bona fide elite quarterback in this class outside of Tua, whereas next year, I feel that way about Lawrence. I'm getting very close to feeling that way about Justin Fields. I want to throw resources at the quarterback position over and over and over again until they get it right. That's my message. That's my point. That's the end of the segment. And if that wasn't arousing enough for you guys, I want to tell you all about BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, mustache or headband or not, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever your rookie number is called. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code MLB to try it today for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Thursday here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, which means we are talking about the game on Sunday in Indianapolis against the Colts. Five and three, the Colts are 10 and a half point favorites and ESPN's football power index gives Miami just a 10% chance to win this game. They had a 42% chance to beat the Jets. We saw how that played out. Miami one and seven, the Colts five and three at Lucas Oil Stadium at 4.05 Eastern, the late kickoff this week on Sunday, November the 10th. And I think this Colts team is a good parallel to what the Dolphins want to build in the future. Again, going back to Evan's comment about how they curated the bottom of the roster and made it competitive from 53 all the way up. I think that's the Dolphins approach going forward. And the physical, smart, tough, disciplined nature of Brian Flores has been played out by Frank Reich and Matt Eberflus of the Indianapolis Colts so far. And they found a way to win games on that team despite maybe not getting the most out of their quarterback position with Jacoby Brissett, whose status for the game on Sunday is questionable. We'll have more injury updates for you guys on Friday's podcast, but talking about this offensive system, it's more of a West Coast style, short rhythm passing game, supported by a strong running game and plenty of analytics-driven principles. From Frank Reich, he learned that under Doug Peterson in Philadelphia, and he's come to Indianapolis and become one of the best play callers in the NFL. They have an offense that's built kind of like what Miami, I think, wants to do with a tight end position and a guy like Mike Gesicki, who you can basically go from 11 to 12 personnel in the snap of a finger just based upon the way the defense matches up. And the Colts basically are almost always in 11 or 12 personnel, 72% of the time in 11 and 23% of the time in 12 personnel. That leaves just 5% for the rest of their personnel groupings with 4% of that going towards 13 personnel. So three tight ends on the field. Their offense ranks 23rd in yards per play, 19th in yards per carry, 22nd in yards per pass, and 16th in scoring. On the other side of the ball, 17th in scoring defense. Last year, they ranked 10th, and that was after ranking no higher than 26th the previous three seasons in total defense. So Eberflus is getting it done for the Colts. They don't blitz very much. Only six teams bring fewer extra rushers than the Colts do on every occasion. And on the coverage side of things, that's where the Colts get really creative. They'll keep guys back in coverage. They'll bring a third safety onto the field with quite a bit of regularity. Even in the nickel defense, they'll go safety over cornerback in that regard as they had six defensive backs play at least half of the snaps in the game on Sunday in Pittsburgh. As far as the players, we talked about it with Evan, Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, Mike Glowinski, Mark Glowinski rather, and Anthony Costanzo might be the best offensive line in the league. And I think because of that, this team is going to run the ball, run the ball, and run the ball some more with Marlon Mack. Those tight ends I talked about, Jake Jack Doyle rather, Eric Ebron and Mo Alley-Cox, they go for 77% of the snaps to Doyle, 34% for Ebron and 30% for Alley-Cox. So they love to rotate those tight ends into the game. And I think that's exactly what they'll do against the Dolphins and run the football something like 30 times. I just don't see how Miami's equipped to stop this power running game, this well-designed running game of Frank Reich. And then from there, whether it is Brissett or Hoyer, I think it's probably going to be Brian Hoyer. They can utilize 
play action and create big gains in the passing game off of that. On the defensive side, it's been a tough year so far for Darius Leonard, although he's having a bit of a bounce back, like Evan told us earlier. I think Malik Hooker on the back end's having his best season so far. Marvell Tell, Kenny Moore, the cornerbacks, they've been pretty good in a solid Colts secondary. And Kamoko Toure is out for the season, but Justin Houston has been a good pass rusher for them. He has a 13.4% pressure rate, 33 total quarterback pressures in this game. Where Miami has an opportunity in this one, I think, is if they can run the ball a little bit and force the Colts to get their sub package onto the field through Mike Gesicki and taking advantage of that and get Bobby Okariki, a sub package rookie linebacker onto the field and then go after him time and time again. The projected outcome for this game, I just don't think this game is all that winnable for Miami. They don't match up well with this team. This team is kind of built in the same vein the Dolphins team wants to be at. And so because of that and the fact that Miami's not there yet, I think it's a slow grind, a shortened game and the Colts win, but not by a whole lot. It's a 10 and a half point spread. I'm going to go Colts 19, Dolphins 10 as they close this thing out, making it look a little bit closer than it was. But I think a good defensive effort from Miami will be encouraging. I just don't expect Ryan Fitzpatrick in this offense without Preston Williams and basically with no real running backs to call on in this game with Mark Walton gone and Kenyon Drake now gone as well. I just don't think Miami scores a lot of points. So Colts 19, Dolphins 10. That's the prediction. I'm sticking with it. We'll come back on tomorrow's podcast and answer your questions on the mailbag. We'll lock it up. We'll talk about college football Friday and the big showdown in Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa, in Tuscaloosa on Saturday between Alabama and LSU, Tua Tungavailoa, and of course, Joe Burrow. We'll have all that for you guys tomorrow. But as for today's show... That is going to be my time. Get over to LockedOnDolphins.com and check out the preview article. I have more in-depth coverage on this game for Sunday up on the website. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a mailbag Friday edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.